Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. For the next 30 seconds, picture yourself in Maine, standing on a rocky sea cliff, waves crashing against the shore. Imagine tasting the freshest seafood, succulent, sweet, and full of salty goodness. The calming sound of a canoe paddle dipping into a mirror-like lake. Picture yourself taking a breath and a beat, telling the world to stop, if only for a moment. Plan your trip at visitmaine.com. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the show. And we have a great topic today. We're going to be talking about immigrating to the United States using the tools out there like visas, like E2 visas and L1 visas and EB5 visas. And, you know, the EB5 visa has been very popular with people from China moving over uh, to the United States and investing in projects. And and that's a whole thing, the EB-5 program. And I think it's about a million dollars right now to invest in EB-5 projects. And then there's the L-1 visa. The L-1 visa is a visa where companies overseas can open up divisions of companies here in the United States. And that's good for some people. And that's good for certain situations in certain countries. But the most popular one is the E-2 visa. The E-2 visa is a visa that you can come to the United States, make an investment. Uh, You have to be from the right country uh, that has a treaty with the United States. And that has been a very popular program for us. Right. And we've got some great guests today really explaining what the E-2 visa is and, you know, how it's used and even some myths about the E-2 visa. But I think it's a really good episode and a great opportunity for sellers to educate themselves about this potential buyer market for their business. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to be more patient when you're selling a business to someone who's immigrating to the United States using either an E-2 or an L-1 or whatever. It's just going to take a little more time. And you know, and then there's, of course, I want to dispel one myth. There's, there's a myth out there that these people are just going to bring a pile of money to the United States and overpay for businesses. And that's not true. I mean, you know, <laughs> to become rich in the, another part of the world is probably harder than it is become rich here in the United States. And these people to become rich in their own home countries are probably pretty smart people. And when they come over here to the United States, just like everybody else, they can do their research. And with the internet these days, they have choices just like any other buyer. Right. Well, there, you know, there's a lot of businesses that can be applied for this E2 program. So, you know, again, there's, there's a, 
pretty decent market for the businesses for sale, which is going to balance out the prices. And and also, like you said, you know, access to the internet, there's tons of great information about business valuation. You know, one of those being our podcast episodes. But, you know, a lot of buyers um, do educate themselves about the process and valuation before they go looking for businesses. Yeah, I think what you're going to come away with is that you after listening to the professionals, that you need good advice. You know, there's a ton of information out there and misinformation out there. And there's all kinds of different people out there that have like seminars in different countries about how to immigrate to the United States. And some of them are good and some of them are outright scams, but you need to get good advice. And, you know, listen, At the end of the day, you're going to need a good business broker, someone who has a lay of the land where you want to move, who understands, who's done this before. And certainly at Transworld, we've done that. And, you know, I've, this is a big decision for people We're we're doing, uh, they're looking to take their family and come to another country. I mean, I've seen people cry at closings. It's really important to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a, as a seller too, it's kind of really nice to see your business transition into someone's dream and have a legacy to live on thereafter. But, you know, you know, we've talked a lot about the advisors and selling a business is a very complex process. And when you add an E2 visa into it, it's just another layer of complexity. So having that great advisory team around you is really key to success in the transaction. Yeah. I don't want to dispel the myth too much that they're, you know, they they are willing to pay more. It's just not a ton more. I mean, you know, listen, this all gets tricky. It gets tricky with how they bring their money into the United States. It gets tricky whether or not they should come here on a tourist visa first and then ask for a change of status. It gets very tricky uh, for uh, landlords, uh, you know, how they get credit and how they bring their money into the United States and whether or not, you know, the the seller can sell to them directly. I mean, there's a lot of different structures and ways this has to happen and it's key to get the right advice, you know, but it's very rewarding for both parties, right? It's very rewarding for the seller that the seller uh, gets perhaps a little bit more money. They're going to have to be patient. Uh, you know, again, they'll, they'll get some more money. And it's rewarding that, you know, the seller's selling to someone that is truly going to want to run their business. I mean, these people are fighting for freedom for their family. I mean, my great-grandparents immigrated to this country. They wanted to give a better life for their kids and for their grandkids and for their great-grandkids. And you know what? It worked. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's why a lot of us are sitting here as business owners in the U.S. today. You know, so I I think it's a great episode. Um, You know, sellers or buyers, I think it's just a really good episode to learn a little bit more about this E2 visa program and educate yourself about another layer of the deal world. Absolutely. We have a great show today. Take notes, listen to the professionals. I mean, you could even reach out to them. We'll have some show notes where you, you can contact everybody and enjoy. Really good information today. Sounds great. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, we're back. And 
we have a very special guest, Jessica Weiss of Weiss and Moy PC. And she has offices in Boca Raton and Las Vegas and Scottsdale, Arizona. And she's been working with Transworld, a great partner of Transworld, to help people immigrate to the United States. And we've been talking about, you know, specifically the E2 uh, visa program. But, you know, Jessica uh, handles all types of immigration issues and immigration law. And so we wanted to bring her on because she's the expert. So, Jessica, you know, things are certainly interesting in the world these days. Uh, tell us what you're seeing out there in the immigration world. Sure. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate the intro. Um, what we're seeing is delays. Delays in the processing of cases. Um, we're seeing more documents they're asking for also. They're getting very specific with things. For example, uh, we used to do, if there was an E2 contingency case, uh, a clause in a contract, uh, we used to have an escrow agreement where the seller and buyer um, would agree to the funds would be held in a neutral escrow account and only the escrow agent would be signing it. And now we're seeing they want everybody to sign the escrow agreement and they want specific details in it. So that's just an example of how they want. Documents are getting a little more specific and detailed what they want. Um, We're also seeing administrative processing a little bit more where if they just don't like what they see at a visa interview, they say, we're going to hold your case and they can hold it for up to 60 days roughly. And they're going to look through it a little more thoroughly. There's also a form, another form coming out. Um, Department of State has another form where they can ask for 15 years of anything in your background, your residences, your employment history, even your social media, what sites you're on, um, you know, what are your names on these sites, et cetera. So they can do all this during that administrative processing period. I mean, the good news is when my, a few of them, my cases have had administrative processing, but they've cleared within a couple of weeks, but it still puts a delay on things and it's definitely a disappointment. Um, so we're seeing delays, uh, requests for evidence sometimes. You'll go to an interview and you think everything's great, case was approved in America, well, the consulate has a right to ask for more documents if they want. So they can ask you to produce some other things. So nothing's a guarantee anymore. It's like you think if a case got approved in America, you're good to go, and you just apply for your visa. Not always the the consulate office can uh, decide they want more stuff. When you try to come into America, even if the visa is approved, they can still question you. And if if something's not right, they can still hold hold you there, secondary inspection, et cetera. So every step of the way to try to come into this country, you know, it's there's more scrutiny going on. That's what we're seeing. Yeah. So obviously, you know, with the world politics and, uh, you know, terrorism and everybody trying to crack down on things that, you know, they're certainly looking out for more, you know, they're being very picky about who's coming in. And, and so this just kind of brings me right. It's a perfect tie in to using someone like you. We always tell people that they need the right professionals to get these things done because they're complicated, right? So it's a complicated process. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about the processes and maybe specifically about the L1 and the EB5 and what you're seeing out there in those two programs. Okay. I can definitely tell you, and I've checked with some of my peers, it's definitely getting more stressful to file um, cases for clients, but we're working harder and harder to meet the requirements. I mean, some of these cases, for example, L1A, intercompany manager case, um, used to file them maybe a quarter of an inch thick to file. Now it's like an inch and a half. could be a thousand pages I'm filing. And I'm filing it and I'm thinking I've got everything I possibly need in it and I get a request for evidence. Request for evidence is asking for so many more things. What are they asking for? It never used to be with an L1A, but you have to trace the funds and prove um, 
if the owner's coming in on the L1A, that is, that you have to prove where the funds came from and how much you invested in the company. That sounds more like an E2. Well, the L1As, I've seen them ask for that. Um, you know, they really want to understand what's their role here. If they're not really managing other managers or professional employees with bachelor's degrees for the L1A, they're going to scrutinize it and they're going to say, there's really no need for you here. You're not really managing anyone. So even if you try to argue, you know, you're managing a key function rather than specific workers, they're tough on them. Um, my peers, I see, you know, we don't have strong L1A cases. We're reluctant because it's a lot of paperwork. It's everything, you know, a lot of stress and we want it, we want it to be successful for our clients. So the L1As, we do them if we have to. I try to steer them towards an E2 if, I, if they qualify, um, which they don't always. The EB5, what we're seeing, is delay. Delay, especially from China. Three or four years backlog in China to get the paperwork um, you know, completed, the interview, et cetera. But other countries are trying. Other people from other countries are trying for EB5. It's not just that even though most of the EB5s are coming through China, there's still other countries, someone from Canada recently in an EB5. Um, you know, it's available to everyone. The only thing is we had a slowdown because, a short slowdown, because when Congress um, shut down in third week in December, they were supposed to renew the regional center uh, rules so that it would continue the program, and it didn't continue then. But now because the government opened again, its regional center rules are still active till February 15th, and then we'll see what happens. So for a while, with a short period of time, people that wanted to do regional center, there was no law in effect to, to file one. The standalone EB-5s, where you just invest um, 500000 or a million dollars, depending where you put your business, and create 10 full-time jobs, at least 35 hours per week, those are still going. They're still processing them. Again, there's some delay um, in the processing of them because they're not. there's no expedite track for them. Um, but they're still popular. Um, they're still definitely coming. I think... Uh, I think when I speak to someone that wants a green card, uh, they don't jump to the EB-5 usually. Usually they need a way to come here temporarily, like an L, an E, some other way to come here. And then EB-5 is often down the road. It's usually not the first thing that they think of EB-5, but every so often you do get someone who says, I only want a green card, that's it. And they realize that, um, I mean, some of them are coming in as tourists while their EB-5 is pending. It's always a risk because when you have case pending in the system showing you want to immigrate here, how can you be a tourist when you're coming in? So it's always a risk that they won't get in and they'll just have to wait outside the United States. So in terms of entering the United States, there's a lot of scrutiny as we talked about a little bit earlier for everything. Even, you know, I get an L1A case approved, they go to the consulate, they apply for the visa and the case gets scrutinized again. So it's just my clients are bringing stacks and stacks of paper, not knowing what questions they're going to be asked. And, um, you know, they're still getting approved. They are getting approved. That's, you know, they're definitely not all getting denied, but you want the strongest case you can these days before you, um, you know, file it. So that's what's, that's what's going on with the Albanese. Well, again, so it, you're, it's great advice you're giving, and obviously you're an expert at this. So kind of just generally and kind of to wrap this up, um, if if somebody wants to immigrate to the United States and buy a business and use that to, you know, get a visa and or eventually get a green card, you know, what are some of the nuances or, you know, what's the best? And of course, you could finish it up by telling them the best way to contact you. Uh, but what's some of the advice that you would initially give people? Okay. So if they want to buy a business and stay in the United States, first, I would say, let's get you in temporarily. There's got to be a temporary way. We either look at the L1A uh, the E2, even the E1 sometimes, 
which is a majority of trader services is between the U.S. and their home country. And they want to come here and open up a branch office. So the E-1 is still a possibility. So I tell them, let's look at the categories for green card. What category do you slide into? Well, if you have an L1A, then you might slide nicely into an EB1 because there's an equivalent in the green card world for intercompany managers to come in and get a green card. So I would say they have to build that company up. If it's a young company, at least a year, uh, two years usually, and then we'll go for an EB1 possibly. Um, if they're an E2, they struggle because they think, okay, some of them don't have $500,000 or $1 million to move into an EB5. So sometimes what I do is I tell them, let's try for an EB3 or an EB1 extraordinary ability, depending on what they're doing. I had a gentleman once, he was a business developer, and he developed a lot of um, companies in, in another country, and then he came to the U.S. and continued doing that, developing different companies. And so we went for an EB1, extraordinary ability, business developer. You have to have national or international recognition in your field. Um, if that's not the case, then we look at EB3. So EB3 is that you have to have usually um, two years of full-time work experience in the field you're going to work in. Now, you have to work for someone. So a lot of my E2s, because they're entrepreneurs, they don't love the idea of working for someone, but they'll do it. So once they get their green card, they have to go work for um, whoever sponsored them, whatever company sponsored them for a green card. And they will. And so it's called EB3. It's, it's usually requires two years of full-time work experience or if they have a degree, a bachelor's degree. But they don't always. My E2s don't always have the bachelor's or master's degrees. They just have a lot of work experience. So this is some of the nuances. Like uh, they feel very, someone will come here as a, a non-immigrant and want to know how are they going to turn this into green card. There are ways. There really are. You need somebody who has experience. I've been doing this about 20 years. Um, and, and mainly my work is E's, L's, um, turning it into green cards. I do a lot of business immigration. I do family immigration too work. Um, but probably the best way to reach me if they want some help is uh, my, I have my firm, my website, which is, um, let's see, I'll give you my attorneyjessicaweiss.com, or they can call my office. If they call 480-994-8888, that's my headquarters in Scottsdale, which will connect them, connect them to me, um, or, or they can call my cell phone, um, 602-380-2772, and that gets them to me right away. But usually I offer a free brief consult, five or 10 minutes, to give them a little direction. And then if they need something more extensive, then we have to set up a paid consult. But I'm really here to be a resource and give them some direction because it's quite a process. And they'll see, uh, if they go to my website, attorneyjesscoace.com, I have some really helpful charts on there that show processes, ways to come to America, and how to turn it into green cards, just what you asked me to explain here in this conversation. I have some good charts there too. So I think that would be helpful if they want to get some more information. Wow. Great advice. Great resource. Thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Andy. Appreciate you having me. Hey, Andy, you know what time I think it is? I think it's time to talk about our deal of the week. Deal of the week. We're back with the deal of the week. And this week, we're going to talk about a small business, uh, but they're all good ones and they serve purposes. I mean, you know, it gives people jobs and we're with Randy Bring and from our Boca Raton office and he had a small sandwich shop that he's going to tell you about. Randy? Well, Andy, they say that good things come in small packages and this was a great deal, though it, it was a very small deal, but maybe not by the standards of my seller or my buyer. I, uh, I represented a, uh, a, a small business, a 
sandwich shop located in a business office park, meaning that they're only open Monday through Friday. They close about four o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, our our seller was actually a retired police officer who had bought this out of retirement, had some fun with it four or five years and decided it was time to move on to his real retirement. We found the perfect buyer. It took us a couple of weeks. Uh, the buyer was a uh, young man with a little bit of restaurant and food and beverage experience. He was actually immigrating from Europe. He needed the visa uh, and was able to write a check for $75,000 for this business. Business only made $35,000, $38,000, but it accomplished the buyer's goal of, uh, of making just enough money to live on to get his visa. And of course, for our seller, it allowed him to provide a week or two of training and move on to the next phase in his life, which was full retirement. Great example of good deals for good people. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, we're back and we have a returning guest in Michael Shea. Mike is, if not the most prolific broker in the country, uh, he is absolutely the most prolific broker here in Florida. And especially when it comes to E2 visas and dealing with people who want to immigrate to this country. And so, you know, I think he has a lot of great insight and tips and we're just going to start right off and welcome you to the show. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. So if you had like, you know, a couple tips or, you know, let's just get the conversation started. If somebody wants to immigrate to the United States using an E2 visa, you know, what are the first steps or what are some of the must do's they have to, you know, kind of get rolling to get the deal done? Yeah. Well, I think as in anything, um, the first thing is to get educated about what the facts are. There is a tremendous amount of disinformation uh, that's out there um, published by brokers, by chat room boards, um, rumors, um, what friends say at the pub if you're from coming from the United Kingdom. Um, so I would say, you know, interview a bunch of people who have a track record of what is truthful. I would also encourage them to read the law themselves, not just take uh, the, the, the words or advice of people who have gone through the process. I am always amazed, you know, literally 99% of the time uh, when I'm talking to folks, no matter where they're coming from, they've never bothered to go to the USCIS.gov website and read the requirements for any of the visas they're attempting to do, whether it's an E2, a change of status, or an L1. Um, and it's kind of eye-opening when you see that some of the things that people think they have to do, like spend a certain amount of money or have a certain number of employees or have a lease, that none of that stuff's actually true. Yeah, we talked to Lisa, which is one of your go-to attorneys, and she kind of went over that as that's absolutely not the case. I mean, it, it needs to be a substantive investment, but there's really no guideline to what that is. And she even talked about that, you know, uh, employment is not necessarily a must. No, it's not. I mean, here in Central Florida, I, I would say well over half of what I do, um, the investors do not have employees. They're, you know, so that's one of the myths that have have kind of grown and been perpetuated by both the legal, some of people in the legal community and some of the brokers. And again, it goes back to not reading the statute and actually reading the law. Um, so, you know, a one-man pool route can get an E2. I'm I'm doing an E2 right now, and it's been approved for a, you're going to laugh, a business that, you know, leases plants. And it's 
got no employees, but boom, five-year visa. So all, all doable, all reality. Um, so A, get, get educated. The, the second thing I would tell people to do is to take off the rose-colored glasses and be super practical about the realities of what they're going to need as immigrants coming into the country. They fixate and worry about the visa, which I've never in 15 years experienced a failure. There are all these worries in the chat rooms that, you know, it's a hard, hard process. And I would say finding the right broker, getting a good CPA, having a good accountant and lawyer um, will help you get through the process simply. And then, you know, the reality is you do that right and you're practical about what your needs are um, as a family when you get here and what are some of the hurdles you're going to encounter. Those are the things you got to talk through. So it's it's worth understanding what those things are specifically. Um, one of the things I'm, I always have to remind people when they come in is they don't have a social security card. They don't have a credit rating. So how they're treated um, from an economic standpoint in terms of cash flow and the requirement for cash flow um, is completely different than someone who's here with a credit rating and access to credit dollars. Yeah. So uh, we see that in landlords, the way the landlords treat them specifically, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The landlord will may ask, you know, you may have a, a one month deposit if you're a U.S. citizen, but then when you come in as a tenant or as an E2 visa buyer, you have no credit rating, they're going to see you as a risk and they may ask for three months, six months, you know, sometimes we've seen even a year. We saw a year just recently. It just, that's just what happened. So one of the things that Lisa and I do you know, as a routine matter of course, is try and define for the family what is the cost of living here compared to what they're at, what are the expenses they're going to encounter as they set up their lives, look at the capital that they have, and then and then give them a real hard reality check going, look, this is what it costs to support a family of five at this standard of living. Here's what you can expect from housing, food. Here's what the startup costs, in addition to the purchase price, are going to be. And here what the net cash flows are on the business. So, you know, when I first got into brokering E2 visas, way back in, gosh, it was five, um, you know, Doug Dickerson in our office, we was selling service businesses. And what we discovered was the service businesses cash flows really address that need for families. So when they come in and they're getting paid net 30, that ease the pain of carrying paper, you know, in terms of their own business receivables on the deal they bought. So you see a lot of expats buying service businesses, building up credit, and then three to five years later, selling that business and moving on to something else, which is what they really want to do. So, you know, long-term planning, being practical about how you're going to live and succeed and the, and the pressures of adjusting to a new country um, are realities they have to that they, they have to cope with, and when you hear about the horror stories, it's usually people not having solid questions, and usually the people around them, the attorneys or the brokers, aren't, um, you know, giving them that reality check and saying, "Look, you know, I, I know your island happy about living in the sunshine and being near Mickey Mouse, but you really got to wake up and." You know, you got two hundred thousand dollars. You only, you really got to save seventy-five to fifty of that to set up your household, get your kids in school, pay for merchant services, deposits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's that's great advice. And you know, so the other thing I I see is that people try to do this from afar, and that's not a good idea, right? They got to get over here and kind of take a look around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, no matter what, you want to meet somebody in in the face to face. The reality is, and I've done you know long distance. Um, long distance deals. I've done deals where I've never physically met the client. Um, 
and and you know I've I've done FaceTime, I've done Skype, um, but I always encourage them to get over here, make that flight, press the flesh, look somebody in the eye. Um, it can be done remotely. Um, there's some mechanics in the back office in terms of setting up bank accounts and wiring funds uh, that can make it difficult. So, for example, if you're you know, in Trinidad and you've got a bank account here, guess what? You can't wire your money out of your bank account here into the various attorneys or, or closing agents or title agents. You have to actually be on the ground. Those are banking rules. So, you know, when you're picking your broker, make sure that they know the, the little nuances as best you can of the dynamic of how you're trying to conduct the transaction. Um, I literally probably five years ago was working with another broker who had a client in France who had their money here and needed more money. And we couldn't complete the transaction on time because I had to get power of attorney to open up and break a window, get in their house, get their checkbook, FedEx it to Paris, have them write the check and FedEx it back Um, because all their money was here. So it delayed a closing by a week which, you know, was all chalked up to lack of experience on the other side of the table, um, not knowing. And, and unless you've done it, you wouldn't know to ask the question, right? So 15 years, a couple hundred of these, you know, hey, you know, where's your money at? And you make sure, like when I talk to Lisa, I go, hey, their money's here. Is that going to be a problem? Um, and there's other stuff you got to ask some uncomfortable questions like, Hey, did you ever get in a bar fight when you were 22 back in the UK? I need to know those things because guess what? It's going to pop up on the background check. So tell us up front and people like Lisa can address it on the front end. But you got to ask those questions. Right. And it sounds like having a, a, a good person on your side here in the States. What about, you know, I hear all these people that they're trying to hire people on the other side in the UK or in another country. And there's all these consultants that seems to be some chatter out there that, you know, people get really confused or, or get burned. I've, I've seen people get burned in Central America and in other places where they want to immigrate here. And then they signed up for this big, you know, basically nothing. Yeah, that, that is a problem. So, um, as in any professional that you hire, um, you know, one of the things you do find is a reality is when you're particularly if you're you're coming from South America or from parts of the country where, you know, or punch the world where the language is in English, um, you naturally gravitate to your own people. Well, guess what? Predators anticipate that and they know that. So they set up these organizations you're referencing or companies, and I hate to even give them that credence, but they set up these these operating groups to sham people. Um, and, you know, when you're coming from Venezuela and you're putting your life on the line, there's a natural inclination to go to what you know in the language that you know. Um, I had a Brazilian in my office yesterday that was taken advantage by a Brazilian. Um, and, and, and you know, it's not a nationality thing. It's just that there are predators everyone who everywhere who play to your natural inclinations for safety and use that. So getting educated, reading the law, interviewing multiple people, vetting the professionals you work with, but reading the law and then applying common sense. Um, you know, Lisa, you know, obviously spoke to you about landlords. Like there's some, there was a myth at one time that people had to have a lease and there were people signing leases, even though they hadn't purchased businesses. And we've seen some attorneys in certain parts of the country tell people they have to buy the business before they apply for the visa. And 
So what if you don't get the visa, right? Then you're stuck with a business in a country that you own, you know, but there are lawyers who tell people that because they're just not schooled in the process because they're not a, a, aware of the workarounds that professionals like Lisa Kahn um, have established over time to, to make it safe for both parties. So vet your professionals, do the research, interview multiple people, and trust your instincts. That's great advice. Michael, thank you so much for coming on today. How can people get in touch with you? As always, um, Transworld, www.tworld.com backslash Michael Shea. Um, my Twitter handle is mshea403. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, or you can call me anytime on my cell phone, 321-287-0349. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great information. Thank you. Have a good one. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, we're back and it is listing of the week. And, you know, we get these special listings in high profile uh businesses for sale. And, uh, you know, we, we do have people coming from all around the world looking to make their way here in uh, South Florida and other places in the United States. And a lot of people always want that mystery of owning a club. And we have one of the specialists back with us, Josh Sagman, who owned the club himself and knows the industry very well. And it's certainly a way you can make money. And we have a very special club for sale. And Josh, tell us more about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a great, great listing. It's uh, The name of the club is Pawn Shop. It's, uh, it's actually downtown Clematis Street in West Palm Beach. It's, uh, it's 12,000 square feet. It's got four bars and it's actually had a great little history. It was originally J.C. Penney back in 1942. So it's got 25 foot high ceilings. And from there, it evolved into two different locations, always the same owner. One was Monkey Club, which is what it originated as. And then it was actually pretty cool. It was uh, called Dr. Feelgoods. So uh, his was Vince, Vince O'Neill, Vince, uh, Vince Neal, Vince Neal um, was one of the co-owners of it. And now it's Pawn Shop. So it's on its third generation. And yeah, it's fully operational, staff in place, management, um, promotional teams, a little bit of everything. And it does great numbers. So yeah, kind of uh, one of those, if you've ever dreamed about owning a fully operational nightclub in the center of the action in Palm Beach County, that's what we have. It's called a Pawn Shop. So how much are they asking and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, they're uh, they're asking six hundred and forty five thousand for it. You know, owner benefits are are pushing close to three hundred thousand a year. Uh, best way to get in touch with me would be either my cell phone, which is five six one seven zero seven eight nine eight six, or my email, which is Joshua Sagman at tworld.com. Thanks for coming in, Josh. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And again, we're talking about immigration, and we have a very special guest. We have Lisa Kruger Khan of Lisa Kruger Khan, uh, immigration attorney to the stars uh, here in Florida and obviously all over the United States, uh, she practices. And um, she specializes in just immigration law. She's been a great partner to Transworld, knows the process very well. Uh, our One of our top brokers, Mike, Mike Shea, who you've heard from in the past at the, on this podcast, works with her. And so with that, I just want to introduce Lisa. Tell us a little bit about you know, the current world in getting an E2 visa. Okay. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's an interesting immigration climate, to say the least. If you turn on the news, um, immigration is a hot topic. 
Uh, and the good thing, though, is that despite what I would call a, a fairly challenging immigration climate um, and a you know, buy American, hire American executive order that is trickling down to adjudications with USCIS, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, the good news is it doesn't really seem to be affecting E-2 visas. The majority of folks um, applying for an E-2 visa are submitting their applications to a U.S. consulate, um, generally in their home country. And fortunately, it's still pretty much business as usual with the E-2s. So I don't feel that we have been affected by either kind of a a negative immigration climate or more recently, um, the government shutdown. Um, For both the State Department and USCIS, um, as far as the visa adjudications, or really for the... um, the uh, petitions that we submit with immigration here in the U.S., because USCIS is fee-based, they're, they're still operating as normal. So I've been fortunate in my practice not to have been affected too much by the shutdown. Um, in some areas, the, the immigration climate is certainly more challenging, but the E-2s, fingers crossed, still going strong. Yeah, we'll always take people's money, right? So, <laughs> I guess you know, so. Wanna, <laughs> Investor you know, visas want- aren't quite as controversial as some other areas. Yeah, so we'll we'll always take and listen. This is you know really, and we've worked with a lot of people who are immigrating to the United States, and this is the ultimate American dream. And they're coming in, and this is obviously the legal way to come into the United States, and so it's popular, you know, by both parties. Everybody wants to see people come, invest in the United States, and uh, create employment, and that's kind of like the the goal of the eventually of you know bringing people into this country. So let's talk about the E two. Um, visa process a little bit. So one of the things is they have to be a treaty country, correct? Right. So in order to qualify to be able to obtain an E-2 visa, um, the investor has to have the nationality of a treaty country. Um, there is a list of treaty countries um, on the State Department website and and you know, other sources where you can access that. There are a few notable absences uh, as far as countries where we do not have a treaty for E-2 visa purposes. Um, common ones that I see uh, where people are disappointed that we don't have a treaty would be India, Brazil, Venezuela. We don't have treaties with those countries, but we do with many other countries. So what that means is if someone, for example, has Brazilian citizenship, they're not able to uh, file for an E-2 visa unless they have dual nationality. And that's often the case. So I always ask if someone has more than one passport, more than one nationality. You may have someone from Brazil who happens to also have an Italian passport, and we do have a treaty with Italy. Um, and I always ask as well where there might be, a, uh, maybe if it's a couple coming in or a family coming in, one spouse may have citizenship from a country where we don't have a treaty, but the other spouse might have citizenship from a treaty country. So those are important questions to ask from the beginning and see if there's a way that this can be doable. Okay. And, and we see that a lot. We see people from one country, especially Venezuela, here in South Florida, uh, and they come through Italy or they come through, you know, one of their other dual citizenships. So, so you know, yeah. So, you know, obviously one of the other th- misconceptions or things that are argued uh, a lot in our office or in our industry is, you know, what kind of business, quote unquote, qualifies? And I've heard all kinds of different, you know, answers. So, you know, what's your take on? I would say any commercial enterprise that is either, you know, a real operating commercial enterprise or in the case of an upstart business, um, any business really that is legitimate business that has a good, you know, a plan and um, and likelihood of success. 
I haven't really found that there's a particular industry or industries or types of businesses that are frowned upon or um, that uh, you know are welcomed more than others. Sometimes I think it can be a little bit easier to process an E2 visa for more of a bricks and mortar type business where there's um, you know more tangible equipment or a location, something like a restaurant, for example, or you know a hair salon. Um, but service businesses are are fine as well. Um, we do in I'm in the Central Florida area, and um, there's a lot of uh, you know pool cleaning, landscaping businesses like that, and those are fine as well. So. What won't work is where someone is investing into, um, let's say, a second home, and they might come in and say, well, I've made a substantial investment. I bought a house for $400,000, and it's our second home, and we're gonna, uh, maybe we're going to rent it out. That'll be the business. That's not really a commercial enterprise in the sense of producing a product or, or a service. So that would be kind of a no-go. But um, really, any legitimate business is doable. And um you know, sometimes there's an impression that certain businesses uh, are going to go through, you know, more easily than others. And, um, you know, if we do, if we can meet the other criteria for the E2, uh, it doesn't really matter what the business is. I'll often tell clients, you know, invest in a business that you're excited about. Do something that you're going to um, want to wake up in the morning and, and run because then you're more likely to succeed and to do well. Oh, that's great. And and so there's the other misnomer, perhaps, is that they have to have a certain dollar amount. Yes. I've often heard people say, well, I've been told that I have to invest $100,000 and hire three U.S. citizen workers. There's no such you know, set uh, guidelines. The investment into a business has to be a substantial investment. And substantial is really determined relative to the nature and value of the business. Um, as a rough rule of thumb, 75% or more of the value of the business is a substantial investment. So, for example, if someone's looking to buy a business that's selling for 150000 and arguably that's the value or the agreed upon purchase price, a substantial investment would be putting in the full you know, 150000 cash at closing or, let's say, 125000 with a promissory note that might be issued by the seller for the balance of 25000 That would be fine, too. Um, so general rule of thumb, 75% or more of the price when someone's buying a business or the value uh, would be considered substantial. If someone's buying a high dollar value business, let's say it's a business that's selling for 800000 then that threshold can go down to as low as 50%. So they might put in 400000 cash to buy the $800,000 business and then finance the rest. And that's okay. That would still be uh, substantial. If someone's looking to buy a $100,000 business and only has twenty grand to spend and they're going to finance $80,000, that's going to be a, a no-go. Okay. And, you know, listen, this is a highly complicated process on some levels, and obviously you make it easy. So people really need professional help because wh what I see out there is people trying to do this on their own or they're trying to hire people that have never done it before and, you know... And you you wind up having to clean up the mess. Yes, and sometimes sometimes it's not even possible to clean up the mess. Um, so I think it's really important if you're going to be committing these funds, if someone's going to be making a major change in their life and moving to the U.S., this isn't the time to to skimp on professional help, um, both as a you know for an immigration attorney to assist with the case, but also a reputable and professional business broker 
And I really enjoy working with the, the trans world folks. Um, not a bad idea to have a good CPA or accountant as well. In some cases, we have to have uh, financial projections as part of an E2 visa package. So you want to have a good team and a professional team that's going to um, get the visa through and also really poise someone to succeed once they're here. And, and talk talk with us about what happens once they buy the business and you know what's their eventual path perhaps to citizenship, if that's even possible. Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, the E-2 is a non-immigrant visa, which means that it's a, a temporary visa, although it can be extended and renewed um, for a fairly long period of time for, for most folks. An immigrant visa is U.S. permanent residence or a green card, and the E-2 is not that. So sometimes one of the frustrations for folks on an E-2 is they may be here for let's say they've got an initial visa for perhaps five years and then they've renewed it and this is their home now and the children are growing up here and they want to make that more permanent. There's not a direct path to a green card from the E-2, which is probably one of the biggest frustrations of folks on the E-2. There may be options for permanent residents through family relationships. Sometimes I'll have a, a family on an E-2 with an older child that maybe goes to university here in the U.S. and then falls in love and marries a U.S. citizen and gets a green card that way and then becomes a citizen on their own and then files for mom and dad. Um, sometimes uh, it's through employment, perhaps, of the E-2, of an E-2 spouse. Not unusual where we might have, let's say, a husband and wife that own a business 50-50 um, and they may be running that together. I often suggest that one party come in as the principal E-2 investor and the other spouse come in as an E-2 spouse. The E-2 spouse can get a work card. And with that work card, they can work in the business. They can set up their own company. They can get a job at ABC company. Gives that spouse flexibility with employment outside of the E-2 business. Um, and sometimes it's through that spouse's employment with, let's say, ABC company that they're able to get a green card. Uh, ABC company might say, you know, you're a great worker. We enjoy having you and we'd be willing to sponsor you for permanent residence and typically have to go through recruitment and um, advertising effort and show that they can't find a U.S. worker who's willing, able, qualified and available for the position. Um, it's a test of the local job market, not the national job market. Sometimes we'll have E2 folks who might have extraordinary ability and there's a green card for that category. Um, there's also an EB-5 immigrant investor visa, but the criteria are very different than the E-2. That requires a half a million or a million dollar investment into a U.S. business and creation of 10 full-time jobs for U.S. workers. So it's a big disconnect. Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger business, yes, obviously, sure. investor. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of people be very successful coming to the United States and uh, buying a business through uh, a need to visa. And we see it on an ongoing basis that people want to, you know, want to live the American dream and come here and invest. So, you know, how do people get started overseas? What's their best way? Do they come here first and visit? You know, what do you recommend? I think it's always a great idea to physically be able to come to the U.S., um, uh, to scout out potential businesses. I'll often tell clients that the most uh, important thing and probably the most difficult thing with the E2 is finding the right business. Um, I uh, think it's very important that before people really start looking at businesses actively, that they understand 
the ins and outs of the immigration world and what it's going to take to get an E2 visa. And if this is the right visa for them and their family, they need to understand um, implications for children. Children are able to come in as E2 dependents and live and, and go to school here in the U.S., but only until the age of 21. So sometimes uh, it's not the right thing for certain families. So I think the starting point should be fully understanding the E2 visa meeting uh, with an immigration attorney. It doesn't have to be me, but a, a good immigration attorney that does a lot of E2 visas. Um, many times I'll initially speak with clients who might have visited the U.S. or maybe have a second home in Florida, and they'll call me from overseas and an exploratory call. Um, then I try to get them in touch if they're buying a business and rather than starting something from scratch, get them in touch with a good business broker like you know Mike Shea um, and start you know, looking for the right business for them. Um, there are some, you know, as in any field, both legal field or, or your field as well, there are, um, you know, some, there are some business brokers that I have felt were not particularly ethical or didn't really have the, the buyer's best interest at heart. And I've never found that to be the case with any of the trans world folks. Um, so I think it's very important that people are in good hands and that's going to set the tone for the whole process. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the great advice. Thanks for tuning into our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Can you hear it? The sound of ocean? Waves against a rocky cliff? It's Maine, a place where sights, sounds, and tastes all come to life. Breathtaking vistas from the top of a seaside mountain. Lobster and oysters straight from crisp, cold waters. It's where you can take a breath and a beat and let the world slip away. Plan your trip at visitmaine.com.